want to welcome you this morning. My name is Tony. I'm the lead pastor here. It's awesome to see you and worship with you. Uh, If you're new or visiting, checking us out, we are glad you're here. Uh, We want to do something a little bit different to start this morning. Uh, And if it's, uh, I don't know, if you're open to doing it, I would love for you to participate. Uh, One of the things that's happening this uh, week, if you're a, a family, maybe your school starts this week, maybe next week, kind of a big deal. Um, but we just want to recognize that that's both like really stressful and kind of a big deal. Um, and so we actually just want to take a moment to invite all of the families with kids that are starting school actually to come forward. And we'd like to just take a moment to pray for you. So if you, uh, if you have kids and, uh, you're a family and you would like to be prayed for, this is like sort of stressful. Uh, if it's too much and you want to just stay in your seat, that's fine too. Um, and if I could have the elders who are willing to come down just to pray for them, that would be great. I know it's going to be a little crowded up here. Yeah, teenagers and teenager parents get extra prayer, yes. And I just invite you guys, one of the ways that you can show solidarity is just to put out your hand as a way of saying, hey, I want to bless these people too. Uh, let's, just, let's just pray together. God, we are, just as parents and as people trying to help children, God, we want them to experience your presence as they go into school, sense that you are with them. God, that you are going to be just be and our stress in them. And as the parents are up here, God, in the midst of our anxiety and our stress and trying to scramble to get all the pieces together, all the backpacks and lunches and schedules together, God, would, meet, would we experience your peace? Would it truly be well with our souls? Then, God, whatever grade we're going into, whether it's kindergarten or 12th, God, I pray that you would, uh, for us as families, Help us to draw nearer to you in the midst of these transitions. And God, we pray for protection over the kids as they go to school, the parents as they send their kids off to school. And God, for our communities and all the schools launching, God, would you be just an awesome, awesome, good God to all of us, to those who know you and those who don't. God, may these kids and our families be a blessing in the schools that we participate in. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming up. And uh, we have these little cards. Do you want to explain those, Jeannie? Yeah. Um, I don't have a microphone, but I also have a little (laughs) awkward. He's my husband. Really awkward, but we're married. It counts. (laughs) I have a little blessing for parents to either pack in their kids' lunches at some point when they need a little extra encouragement for their child at school or for the child to take. Well, just a way of remembering that God goes with you into whatever classroom you're in, so that everyone gets into whatever home you're going to walk into, that God is with you. So please take one, pass it around so that everyone gets one. And if you're a high schooler or middle schooler and you don't want anyone to see it, just hide it somewhere. You're good. Yeah, and uh, so teachers are going to be back there. So if you're in elementary school and you would like to go hang out with some other kids, uh, your teachers are over there. I think Jim is there. Uh, Miss Jeannie will be over there. So if you're in elementary, feel free to hang out over there. If you're in middle school or high school, uh, you're going to be joining us today. 
Thank you guys for participating in that. So uh, if you're new or visiting, uh, we are going through the Gospel of John. Uh, We're sort of slowly making our way through the Gospel, trying to see who Jesus is. And I wanted to start with an analogy this morning. Um, If you, I don't know if anyone ever did a treasure hunt when they were a kid, or maybe as an adult, uh, you do a treasure hunt, right? The point of the treasure hunt is to get to the treasure, right? The, The point is not to obsess over the clues, Right, so you're not like, oh, cool, cute clue, you know. Or a few weeks ago, I was talking about uh, the first sign that was done at Cana from water to wine, and I was talking about when I was in the Sierras, or I, maybe I was in Washington. But you're in it along the way, and the point trail disappears, and you have to depend on these cairns, these stacks of rocks, to guide you along the way. And the point is not to sit and obsess over the cairns, but to allow the cairns to guide you. And what we're going to see today as we sort of lean into the second sign that Jesus does in the Gospel of John is that sometimes people get more focused on the signs themselves than on the point of the signs, which is to draw nearer to Jesus, to understand him and trust him more. This is how the text reads. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water and wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday will live. Fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, as this text begins, there's a couple of confusing parts, uh, if you were sort of zoomed in on them. One is, Jesus says something like, you know, a prophet is without honor in his hometown, right? His hometown is in the Galilee region, and then immediately after it says, the Galileans welcomed him. And it's like, huh, how can he both be without honor and welcomed at the same time? It's sort of this interesting juxtaposition. Um, And I think one of the cues to making sense of it is in verse 48. It says, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I think one of the things that this text is getting at at the very beginning is this difference between showing up to see the sign, to sort of show up, be a part of the cool Jesus parade, the Jesus circus, and then sort of, but not really actually engage that Jesus is, as John 1 said, the word made flesh, that he is actually God, that he is the light and life of the world. Right? There's a difference there, isn't there? And one of the things this text is going to do is really try and highlight that difference. The difference between showing up for the clues and the signs, and actually going towards the treasure itself. What we see here uh, is in sort of as this, his son, flipping, folded into the narrative is a man with a desire to see his son healed. Right, this guy's coming from Capernaum. There's a map up here. 
So Capernaum and then Cana, right? So that's about 16 miles, a little over. So that's like walking almost from here to, um, I don't know, what was that? Salinas, Castroville, something like that. Um, so, you know, 16 miles, that's not chump change. Back and forth, 32, right? I don't know when the last time you walked 32 miles is, but that's not normal for most of us, but for them, right? That's him trying to figure out how to get his son healed. Now, it's unclear. It says he's an official. We don't know if he's an official in Herod's court or a part of his family. We don't know if he's Roman. We don't know if he's Jewish. What we do know is that his son may die. Now, I've never been in that situation, so I have no idea exactly what that feels like, but I can imagine how terrified he is. And he's trying to figure out, what can I do to have this beloved son of mine get healed? So he's not a, you know, he's not a sign seeker. He's not a clue consumer. He is trying to figure out how to get his need met, and his need drives him to the person of Jesus. Now, what's interesting is when he shows up uh, with Jesus, there's a bunch of people there, and this is when Jesus says that line from verse 48, right? Like, oh, yeah, I don't care about that. Signs and wonders. And this man says, no, 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 I, I don't care about that. I just want you to heal my son. That's what Jesus says to him. He says, go, your son will live. That's pretty incredible at this point. And I think this is maybe the crux of the whole passage right here. John tells us, what does he do? He believes him. But he believes him. Now put yourself in those sh- his shoes. His son is going to die. He's just walked 16 miles down. He doesn't know whether his son is going to pass away. Jesus says to him, go, your son may live. Like in that moment, what do you do? Well, can you give me like a couple ideas of like what that's going to look like? What's the timetable? Can you tell me what the recovery is going to be like? You know, like my anxiety at least would be fairly high. I'm trying to figure it out. But this guy's like, okay. And walks home. Pretty incredible, right? He takes Jesus at his word. He doesn't need a sign in that very moment, right? There's this group of people there that are gathered for signs and wonders, but not this guy. He takes Jesus at his word before he has seen anything. Jesus says, go, your son will live. He hears him. He trusts him. The text says he believes him. He walks back. Now, as he's walking back, he's about halfway, somewhere along the way, between Cana and Capernaum, he's on route. He runs into some of the servants. And the servants, right, because now they have seen the son recovering. So now it looks like they're coming to now get him and say, hey, your son's getting better. But they don't know they're going to intersect, but they do. And now they intersect. They're like, oh, he's getting better. And now this guy's like, oh, my gosh, what time did it happen? Or it happens to be the exact time that Jesus says, go, your son will live. And then what happens? Belief spreads. Now the servants believe. Now the household believe. They're trusting in who Jesus is. Now if we lean into this a little bit, you see that the John is creating this contrast. And he's creating this contrast between people who need to see it to believe it, And people who are willing to hear it and trust. I remember I was in uh, Rome in my early 20s with a buddy of mine I went to high school with. And we were talking. He's uh, 
<clears throat> sort of just mostly secular agnostic. And we were having this conversation. And I remember he looks up. He's like, I will never, I will never believe of a, you know, PG unless he shows me he's real. He's like, so he stands there and he kind of yells in sort of a, you know, PG version, something like not Pacific Grove, but you know, the other version, um, you know, like God, unless God opens up the heavens and like peeks down at me and waves or something, I am never going to believe. I mean, I think we see that in our culture, right? Show me. Right? There's part of that sort of the, you know, the science of our culture. Like there's something about like, I need to see it, right? It needs to be verifiable uh, versus oh, I'm going to trust the words given to me and believe them, whether it's through the scriptures or what God says. This official, he believes Jesus' words and he believes that Jesus is capable of fulfilling his words. Now, this is a theme that John develops throughout the gospel. Starting here, maybe a little earlier, but really launching here and it proceeds. And it really hits its climax in John 20. Have you ever heard of Doubting Thomas? Right, so after the resurrection, Jesus is crucified, he's executed, he's resurrected. Some people start telling people, hey, this is happening. And Thomas says, unless I can literally see him and then put my finger in his wounds, I will not believe it. And then Jesus comes up to him and he says this, he says, you haven't seen, have you believed because you have seen Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who trust. What we see in the end of John 4 is this contrast between people that want to kind of hang around and see the signs and this official who trusts the word of Jesus and through that comes to faith in him and trust in him. Gets to see who he really is on some level, right? John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? Jesus actually identifies himself with the word. Right? And at the beginning of creation, how do all things come into being? Through the spoken word of God. God speaks, things come into being. What do we see here? Jesus speaks and a boy is healed. There is a power in the spoken word of God. And the question in this text that I think drives home for us is, do we listen to that word? Is that Jesus' voice and do we trust it? What we see in this text is that Jesus brings life to a boy, right? He is the life and light of the world. He brings light into the dark moment of this father traveling from Capernaum down to Cana. Amid a group of people that are more concerned with the clues than the treasure of knowing who Jesus really is. Now, theoretically, I think we can kind of wrap our hands or heads around that. I think the question then hits the ground for us of, so what? Okay, big deal. What does that mean now for us, right? Living in Marina, living in Seaside, PG, Monterey, like how does this text influence, speak into our life today? I think the center of it is pretty simple. It all comes down to trust. 
You know, if we were to get to the heart of the matter, when is the last time that God spoke to you? Maybe it was in prayer. Maybe it was through the scriptures. What did he say? Did you believe it? You know, today we're gathered. We sing songs. Do they kind of go in one ear and out the other? Or do we actually hear them? Do they provide, become promises that we hold on to and trust? That the the Jesus is trustworthy. Do Do we hold on to that, right? That the official actually put his trust in the right place because what happens? He believes his word and then Jesus fulfills his promise. Are we the kind of people that believe the word of God as it comes to us, right? We hear the scriptures that Jesus is God and yet in our culture, in our high schools, in our middle schools, everyone else isn't saying that. Whose voice are we attuning to? When we read the scriptures and we hear that God is good and loving and will not forsake or abandon us, do we believe that? Or are we afraid and anxious? Sometimes I think it's easy in the midst of, you know, church life to kind of go through the church emotions and kind of disconnect from the deeper core of why we are gathered here to actually draw near to the person of Jesus, to attune our ear to his voice and be shaped by the foundation of his promises and the stories captured in the scriptures. As I prepared this message, I was reminded of a season in my life. In my uh, earlier 20s, I felt like God was calling me to seminary And I was able to sort of hear that and run with it, but I didn't really listen to anything else God had to say. So the first thing I was like, well, I want to go to Princeton then, right? Because if I went to Princeton, you would all, because I was insecure, like, whoa, you went to Princeton, you know, because I was insecure. So I was thinking, well, what I'm going to do is go to the best school so that everyone knows it. So then they'll think I'm smart. And God was like, yeah, I don't think Princeton's for you. So I was like, okay, well, then I'm going to go to the East Coast then because I've lived on the West Coast for so long. At least I'll go to the East Coast. I'll experience seasons, not winter and summer, but like actual seasons. And I remember being on the plane ride back from the East Coast in Gordon-Conwell. And uh, God was like, no, I want you to go to Fuller. And I was like, Fuller? It's in California. I can't like drive to it from my house through my little tantrum, right? And looking back... Ended up going to Fuller, uh, loved it. Um, It was a great fit for me. But aside from that, like looking back, one of the things that stands out is just my, both my naivete and my hubris, my pride. Like God was speaking so clearly. And it's like, I kind of wanted to do it sort of half God's way and half mine or sort of warp God's thing into my thing and sort of run with it. And it was like, man, how much I would have missed out on. God had an awesome plan. He was trying to lead me, but in my pride and in my self-reliance, I was like, I can do it better. And I guess I wonder today, you know, we all come in in the midst of a story that we're living, right? For me in my 20s, it was sort of this moment of seminary, vocation, whatever, you know. And for you, I wonder where in your story you're coming in today. And what does God have to say to you in this moment of your life? Maybe as your kids are going into school, maybe you're in the midst of retirement or a career transition, you're trying to figure out, 
you know, how to be a parent, how to be a spouse. You feel like you're failing in your marriage or whatever it is. What does God have to say to you today? Do you have a sense? What are the key questions you bring into this room today? Are you solving them on your own or are you actually allowing the voice and the text of the scriptures to speak into that decision? The present moment you are living into right now, does God have a place to contribute to that conversation? I just want to do an exercise for one second. Not like physical exercise, but a practice. So see if you'll trust me on this. I just invite you to close your eyes for a second. I don't have anything to throw or anything. (laughs) Question. Close your eyes and just, if you could think of right now one question, just one, one question you would ask Jesus. Imagine he's sitting in a stool in front of you. If you had one question to ask him, what would it be? Could be anything. Maybe that question pops into your mind. Maybe it doesn't. But just invite you in this moment with that question in your brain just to say to Jesus, to the Spirit of God in this room with you, ask him that question and see if he has a response for you. Feel free to open your eyes. Some of you are like, oh my God, that silence was unendurable. And some of you are like, introverts are like, oh my God, when is he going to be quiet? For some of us, we have silence. But my guess is for some of us, we have deep and profound questions. And maybe you said something to God and maybe God said something to you. And if he did, I just invite you to hold on to that. If he didn't, I just invite you to create spaces in your life where God can speak. I personally did this exercise and, you know, I find for me, you know, in the day-to-day I get caught up in all kinds of things that I want answers to, but when I sort of create the space for God to speak, one of the questions that, that's awesome, was that a car rolling down? I got it for you. That was awesome. There you go. That was cool. Don't worry about it. I drop cars down here all the time. I love having kids hang out in here. It's just sort of a sign of like the playfulness and the life of God in the midst of a body. I love it. Anyway, you know, the question that often comes up to me is, I say to God, you know, do you love me? Right, because at some deep existential level, I feel like, I don't know, I wrestle with that. Like at this deep gut level, does God really love and cherish me? And I feel like when I did this exercise, God, it's like, yeah, more than anything. I don't know what questions you did in that deep. But I think if when we are grounded, when I know when I am grounded in that deep sense of God's love and acceptance, 
It changes the way I live. Versus all the voices, right, around me that tell me, hey, you got to try harder. Hey, you stink at this. I find when I am grounded in that trusting space with Jesus and I can take him saying more than anything and say, okay, that's true. I'm going to hold on and trust that in the midst of all the voices circling around me. Now, there's also, though, a difference, I would say, between hearing the voice of God and trusting it and not really hearing the voice or listening to God much at all. Right, that brings me to my second point, which is really a question. Are we listening? I think, you know, I was, as I was praying about this message, I feel like God gave me this picture, and it was a picture of us sort of walking around with little earplugs in our ears. I was like, we want to be people that see the signs, see the miracles, see the awesome things, but we're often not like the official attuned, attuned to the word of Jesus being spoken into our life and trusting it. Are we listening? Well, this is why, and it's, that probably feels redundant, why I'm constantly talking about practices and habits that shape our Jesus following because it is those practices and habits that also create the space in our lives for God to speak in the midst of homework, in the midst of all the assignments we juggle, in the midst of parenting, in the midst of being married. How do we create space so that there's even space for God to speak to us? let alone us trust him. So that's why we're often talking about able, right? A, attend, taking time each week to attend to the voice of God. B, taking time each week to bless people inside and outside the church, practices, right? L, taking time each week to learn from the scriptures. E, taking time each week to just hang out, eat with people inside and outside the church as a way to just draw near to people, create space for relationship to form. And this morning, it's more about A and L, right? Attending and learning. Do you have space in your week? Not like crammed between 20 other things, like a checklist, like done, finally, let's go to all the real stuff in the day. But do you actually have space to listen to the voice of God to speak to you? Kind of like we just did. We just did a practical exercise on that. Sometimes God speaks, sometimes he doesn't. But do we have space in our lives for God to speak? Are we in the scriptures so that we can be hearing what God has to say through the... Now, I think for some of us, you know, maybe we've approached the Christian life as sort of like this whole listening to God thing is like an elective. And then there's other like core disciplines. You know, if you go to college, it's like, well, this is my major, you know, this is sort of an elective. And sometimes I think listening becomes an elective. But I want to reframe it as like, I think this is actually core Curriculum for practicing the way of Jesus. I mean, just look real quick at the narrative foundation of uh, the scriptures, right? Where do we start? We start in a garden, Adam and Eve. God speaks to Adam and Eve. What do they do? Do they listen? No, they do their own thing. What happens then? God calls Abraham. He says, leave your people, go to this land. I will show you, I'll make you a blessing to the nations. What does he do? He listens and trusts him and goes. And then if you keep following through the scriptures, what are the prophets doing all the time? They're saying, here, I'm going to declare the word of God to you. Are you going to listen? But the people of Israel don't, right? So they end up in exile, just like Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. They're kicked out of Israel. And then Jesus comes back, the word made flesh. 
the spoken word of God made into a human being speaking to this official and this official has an opportunity to trust him. And the thing is, so do we. It hinges upon often following Jesus and practicing the way of Jesus hinges upon our willingness to listen to the voice of Jesus and trust him. It all comes down to trust. And the question is, are we listening? Now, this morning, I sort of started with this whole thing of treasure hunt and signs and all that. And I think the question is, Jesus is the treasure that we are setting our hearts on. Are we listening to him? One of the ways that, uh, as we sort of enter worship in a minute, one of the ways that we're going to um, actually try and draw near to him is by celebrating communion together. Right? Communion is one of the practices that we do in order to gather and commune with the risen Lord. Right? It's a practice that we do. And one of the things we do is we all stand up and we walk up together as a way of saying, hey, we are all going to journey towards Jesus together, remembering who he was, right? so that we can trust him and follow him as we leave this place. As we go about work, we go about parenting, we go about the first days of school. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus gathered wine and his disciples, and he took bread and wine, and he picked up a piece of bread. He said, this is my body, just broken for you. Take and eat. And he grabbed some wine. He said, this is, this wine is my blood. It's a sign of the new and everlasting covenant. Take and drink. And we do this. You know, we're going to stand up. You're going to walk through this middle and there's going to be people up here. And what they're going to say to you is, this is the body of Jesus. And you're going to grab a piece of bread. And then they're going to say, this is the blood of Jesus. And you're going to take that bread and you're going to dunk it in this grape juice. And you're going to eat it as a reminder of who Jesus is. That he is the word made flesh. That he is the food that sustains you. And he's giving himself to you today, that you may experience life. I just invite the worship team up, uh, and then if I, invite, if I asked you to serve communion, if you could come up. There's going to be four of us serving communion up here and, and worship. It's my invitation to you as we lean into communion and worship, just to take a moment, just come present to What are the things in your life today that might be getting in the way of you drawing near to Jesus? I think communion is an awesome opportunity for us to just be honest with God about what's going on in our life. Experience his forgiveness, experience his presence, experience his love. Just take take a moment and when you're ready, feel free to come up and receive of the goodness that God has for you.